All right, so we're in number six now of faith chapter. Just a few items from faith. Our six is I'll receive the Holy Spirit and his gifts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8.32, and Romans 8.32, uh, it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So believers have the promise of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which the men of faith of the Old Testament did not receive. So this is a gift that is allowed only in the era of grace, only for children of God, only for believers in the New Testament. Um, and here we need to differentiate the, uh, the two concepts that are uh, grace and gifts. These are slightly different. Grace is what God gave through the Son for all men. It's through the only begotten Son to the whole world. So John 3.16 says, Whosoever, uh, God, for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. So whosoever uh, means that God sent his Son to die for all. So it is to whomever. It is for all men, whether they're righteous or not, whether they're educated or not, whether they're uh, free or slaves, whether men or women, um, civilized or barbarians, whatever they are, uh, they can receive grace. Gifts, on the other hand, um, are given and given and given. So it, it depends on um, the receiver. If the receiver has the faith, receiver uh, is sanctified, the receiver seeks and longs for gifts, then the giver of gifts continues to give and give and give. All right, that's the difference between grace and gifts. Grace is one time, but gifts uh, are continuously given, and they are a manifestation, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So it is very important for us to receive and have gifts as solid evidence um, of having the Holy Spirit present in our lives. Many people will say, well, I receive the Holy Spirit because I confess Jesus is the Lord or that I believe in Jesus. But you have no proof that you have the Holy Spirit unless you can um, be manifest you can have this manifestation, which are gifts. And tongues can be one of them, or uh, visions, or prophecies, faith, whatever. So these are all gifts uh, that are given as proof, as manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and these are given to saints uh, alone. So only those who have received the Holy Spirit, only those who are filled with the Holy Spirit can receive gifts. Okay, because the gifts represent your, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have gifts present, and you won't long for them, you won't love them, you won't desire them, and you won't be given. Number seven, believers become heirs of the kingdom of God. Let's go to Romans 4, 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So the children of God become heirs of God. Uh, heirs means, uh, or an heir means, you have the right to inherit what your father has. Um, so if you are a child of God, then you have the right to inherit from God. 
Whatever God has is yours. Whatever God has has your name on it. That's what being uh, an heir or heirs of God means. And if we are heirs of God, it means we are co-heirs with Christ. We share what Christ has. You know, we tend to just think like, oh, we're going to get kingdom of heaven. Maybe there's a little house for me, a little mansion or a little room for me like I have down here. Maybe a little bigger room than my room right now. So we can't really fathom and therefore not uh, appreciate and not have hope. But what the Bible says is if we are heirs with Christ, heirs of God, then we are co-heirs with Christ. What Christ has is mine. What Christ has will be mine. And that's what um, children of God have uh, waiting for them. So we have the same right that uh, Christ has. So in the kingdom of heaven, there are, um, as you learn in Logos, uh, the holy city, there's the holy city, there is the inside holy city. So when you say, uh, the, we want to enter the holy city, uh, oh, we'll see you face to face. That seeing face to face does not happen outside, but it happens inside, right? not outside, because what's the point of having outside inside if everyone can see his face? But the Bible clearly says there is the inside of the holy city, and then there is the outside. Even though it doesn't say inside, the holy city where you will see the face of the lamb forever and ever is the inside of the holy city. And then there's the outside where Jesus mentioned many times in his parables about casting those who are disobedient, lazy, wicked servants where they will gnash their teeth and weep forever. But in the holy city inside of it is where the lamb of God is the lamp and his glory shines forever, as Revelation 21, 23 says. There is no night, there is no moon, no, no need for the moon or the sun, because the Lamb of God is its lamp. It lights the whole city. His glory lights the whole city forever and ever. And that's what is waiting for us. That's where we want to go. And it is only for those whose bodies are redeemed, as Philippians chapter 3.21 says, bodies are redeemed. Our souls are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but we need to be sanctified. This lifetime process we have to become sanctified is the redemption of our bodies. This is very different. Redemption of souls and re redemption of the bodies. And when the, uh, when the Bible says the body is being redeemed, means you're sanctified, you're glorified, uh, through the first resurrection to enter the holy city. So the only those who participate in the first resurrection, as 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says, those who belong to Christ, when Jesus comes back, those who belong to Christ will be lifted up, raptured, and then after some reigning uh, banquet and the reigning on earth, they will be taken into the holy city. Because the holy city is where, where only the winners, the victors, enter. Losers have no place in the holy city. Only those who wear crowns of glory can enter there, and they can see the one who is seated on the throne, and that's where the, they will be singing. And we hope to be singing. Oh, we'll see you face to face. That's what we long for. Amen? Amen. Number eight, become, we can become glorious. And again, this refers to um, being transformed into glorious bodies like that of Christ, as Philippians 3.21 explains. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about God's pleasure and will. According to God's pleasure and will, he predestined us to be adopted or to be born as the glorious children of God, and he calls us by his grace. So, uh, it says in Romans 8.30, the 
Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So he calls by grace, and when he calls by grace, he justifies them by their faith. And then those who are justified then, he will also, in the end, glorify uh, as they live according to his will and for his will. So to become glorious means to have glorious body, to be resurrected to life. Not this body, but the spiritual body that's like Christ. So these are still benefits of faith, results of faith that we are longing for. Number nine, we can reign and serve before the throne. Reign with Christ and serve serve before the throne. Christ is described to be the high priest who serves the Father forever. Um, even though he is seated on the throne and we call him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is also the high priest, which means he's in service as he is sitting down. Because when you think of service, you think of someone who is on the floor kneeling or standing, uh, ready to attend to your needs. But the kind of service that Christ is giving and forever he will give to the Father is from the throne. So from the throne, as the king of kings, he is serving the father. So that service is not bad at all. If that's the kind of servant that we want to be, it's not a bad thing at all. That's what's called royal priests. As kings, we will serve God. We will serve Christ. We will serve the one who is seated on the throne. Let's go to Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. That's what's waiting for us. That's why we are trying our best. We're trying to do our best and put every effort to, to serve him and to glorify his name and to be sealed with his name. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kang talked about we being the Lord's, we, we being um, souls who belong to the Lord. In the end, there's two types of sealing. One, to be sealed with the number of the beast. The other, Sealing with the name Yeshua, the name of God. So if we want to be sealed by the, with the name, of the, the Yesh, name of the Lord Yeshua in that day, we have to be sealed today. Our faith has to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, and all those who are around us need to recognize us as having the name Yeshua on our foreheads. And when we do live like that, then we can go there, and his name will be on our foreheads, and we will see him face to face. We will no longer be weeping. We will no longer be suffering. We will be glorified. We will dwell in his house where his glory is. And that's the hope that we should have today. Amen. That's the hope that we should have every day. Not, and if you have this hope, then you will not give up. If the, you have this hope, no matter how going gets tough, you will not give up. You cannot be tempted. You cannot be tempted to poop out and, and surrender because what's waiting for us is so much greater than the suffering that we endure today. And that's what Paul kept writing in the uh, in book of Romans as well. And throughout his letters, he said, 
The suffering that we are going through as children of God today is nothing compared to the glory we'll receive as heirs of God and the co-heirs of Christ. And this song, we hope, that we'll be singing in that day. Amen. It's not enough. With all our sins are washed away. That's how we began. I mean, it's only by His grace that our sins have been washed away. But we can't remain in that state and then expect to go to dwell in the city of God. We can't. That's the beginning, and we will never forget that grace. But with that start, we need to spring. We need to, we need to sprint from there and run towards the prize. Run towards the prize, and in that day, we can see his face face to face. Face to face, not from outside, not from, from nosebleed seeds, but face to face we will see him, and we will reflect his glory in that glorious place. How amazing is his grace. Amen. This is the result of faith that is waiting for those who receive grace. It's still grace. This is still grace. Grace is still continuing and overflowing. But those who win, those who overcome, will receive these gifts. And finally, number 10, the result of faith or the gifts of faith is having the task of testifying the gospel. Why is it that uh, testifying the gospel, the gospel of his grace, is uh, listed along with these gifts and these promises? It's because God never assigned the position or the job to the angels. Can you imagine if angels preached? They would be bringing lots of people tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 you're thinking like, oh, my God, we have to bring somebody. Oh, my God, so especially if you're in your YA1, right? So you're like, oh, my God, 3.5. we got to make the 6.5 ASAP. Um, but angels, they don't have to worry about the numbers. They can bring hundreds, thousands of people. They can pack the stadiums. Uh, they can do anything because they can, they have, they can perform uh, miracles. They have powers to do that. Yet God didn't ask them to preach the gospel. Now, if preaching the gospel itself was the goal, then he would have used all his means to get that done. But uh, testifying the gospel is a chance. It's a gracious chance that's been given to us as gift. It's, It's a chance that we have to participate in the gospel, participate in the work of the gospel, so that in that day, we can live by the gospel. We can live by the good news in his house. So it is only for us humans, only for us believers that can participate uh, in, the ta- in this task, the work of testifying the gospel. So it's my turn now. It is my turn, it is our turn to testify the gospel because if we receive grace, if we know his grace, if we are indebted to his grace, we need to pay back by preaching the gospel. So Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In the eyes of God, there is nothing more beautiful than those who preach the gospel. Even if, even if they don't have as many or much fruit as they would like. Even if. We do need to work towards and pray and and fast and work hard to bear fruit. But in the eyes of God, those who make the attempt to preach, to bring good news wherever they go, whether it's on the streets or faraway places, to Africa, to Europe, to China, wherever, those feet are the most beautiful feet to the eyes of God. And all the work that we spend for that work, all the hour, all the tears, all the sweat, all the dollars that we spend for that work will be remembered, will be remembered, will be recorded, and we will be rewarded according to our work. That is grace, and that's the result of our faith. 
Hallelujah. So we need to first ask ourselves before we think about these six stages or preaching the gospel, have I really, do I know his grace? Knowing his grace is number one. Do I know his grace? Have I received his grace? And if the answer is yes, then I have to pay him back. Even though there's no way for us to pay back, we owe him our life. We owe him our lives, our lips, our hearts. So we need to dedicate ourselves in preaching the gospel with this honor that we should have. The fact that we are born under the law of faith is grace. That we weren't born in the time of the law of Moses. If you are born in the time of Moses, you cannot participate in the first resurrection. You don't go to paradise. You go to Abraham's bosom. You go to Abraham's side. And you come out to the second resurrection. You have nothing to do with the Lamb of God. Nothing to do with his throne, with the holy city. But we have this chance by his grace So seize your opportunity and be grateful. Be grateful that you are living in the time of grace, time of faith. Hallelujah. So that's the end of the six stages of the content. Now we need to then go on to uh, leading the people to church. Because we deliver the content of the gospel, but then, then you have to ask the question, so what? Now what? Now what is the question? This is the action uh, part. So they, they, let's say they did take the action of repenting, receiving, being baptized, even receiving the Holy Spirit. They've gone through all this, right? And then, then you have to then uh, lead them to the next stage, which is the critical lifetime stage uh, where they can practice their faith keep their faith, and teach their faith until Jesus comes back. And that's in the context uh, or the arena of the church, the environment of the church. So after making the commitment prayer in the faith stage, do you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Amen. Do you believe in the works of Jesus Christ? Amen. Have you received the blood of Jesus? Amen. 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 And you pray with them, Father, for they bless them. This brother has received your works. Uh, come into his life. Come into my life as my, my Lord and my Savior, my King. I commit my life to serve you for the rest of my life. And then you say, God bless you. See you later. Ciao, ciao. See you, mañana, hasta, hasta, la, hasta la vista, see you later. You can't say, I, I'll see you in heaven, okay? Good luck with everything, see you in heaven. Um, that is being irresponsible. So uh, we can't just end it there and then leave them on their own because they're just babies. They're just being born as babies. Babies need to be fed. Babies need to be nurtured and taken care of. Um, whether it is someone that we met off the street or uh, meet in uh, you know, some other setting in Bible studies or even people who come but move. They're moving away. You know, and then they say, well, I'm going to find a church over there. I say, good luck. See you later. Find the church. There are many churches. Google that or Yellow Pages. Yellow pages. We can't do that. We have to be responsible uh, and therefore we have to touch teach them about the importance of the church and therefore the church um, life. So first we start with leading them to church. Our job as preachers uh, is not just to preach the gospel and end it there, but it is also to guide them, direct them to the church, to belong to the church. They need to belong to the church. They not only need to attend church, but belong to church. There's a big difference between belonging and attending. You can belong and attend, attend and belong, but you, can't, you may not be uh, belonging while you're attending. So you have to not only attend, but belong to the church. This is very important because the church is the body of Christ. 
Um, so through the body of Christ, we can be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, we can grow in faith, be fed by the word, and have faith life. Um, but of course, when you look at the early church stage in the book of Acts, there were times where they could not gather as the church because of the persecution. Um, so in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, we see the, the dangerous circumstances in which they were um, uh, in and they were struggling to get together to meet to worship. So many of them were captured and killed because they were trying to gather into the church on Sundays. You know, like the Jewish history, also the Jerusalem uh, history, is that uh, what I found just amazing when on these of uh, the Romans and the Greeks, even before that, the Persians, they all knew about the zeal of the Jews that they um, idolized the Sabbath. I mean, that's their faith anyway. The Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath was their piety, their, their religion. So these enemies would wait till Saturdays where these religious men would not work, stay at home, and even fast. So they weren't eating. They did not have weapons. They were not sharpening anything. They were just at home. And then they would just be, you know, just besieged, attack invade the city of Jerusalem, and people are, masses of people are killed. So uh, similarly, um, the, Christ, the, uh, the persecutors of the church or Christian church knew that Christians kept the, kept the Lord's Day, Sunday, that they were going to come out of their hiding to go somewhere to meet. And in their route um, to worship, to the gathering in the name Yeshua, they were killed. Um, but from this, people say, well, look at them. You know, they didn't have a church. They were scattered. They live in the catacombs or the caves, whatever. They didn't have a church, so we don't need to go to church. Do we need to go to church? Um, so we need to have uh, the explanation why church is important. Um, today, we, need to, we don't live in such uh, ex extreme or extraneous circumstance where we're killed for going to church on Sunday. Therefore, all the more, faith life has to be practiced in the church, and the church life has to be stressed. So first, let's talk about um, faith life. Every sermon in our church be begins with God's attribute. God is X. God is life. He is life because he uh, has no beginning or end, or he gives life to those who love his life, for example. And faith is loving his life or receiving his life. And faith life, I'm kind of getting it now because I've been doing it. So faith life is um, cherishing the life and sharing the life with others until eternal life, for example, right? So we all start the sermon with attributes of God or the attribute of God of the day. And then faith and faith life. Because faith has no meaning if you don't have faith life. Faith is not faith unless you practice it, unless you express it. So faith means you know who God is. You uh, know who Jesus is. You know who, what he did. Uh, you know what he said. Uh, and the knowing there uh, has to come from the Hebrew concept of knowing, which uh, is yada. Yada means to experience. So when Mary said to the angel, I don't, how can this be, I don't know, man? She wasn't saying, what is a man? Um, but she said, I didn't have not experienced the man. I don't know. I'm a virgin, right? So um, yada, know, knowing means to experience, and that's what faith means. And if you have faith, you have to experience God. You have to experience Jesus. You have to experience what he did. You have to experience what he said. That's what, that's what faith life is. And this life um, acts and confesses uh, one's faith before two or three people. The word confession uh, already includes 
the context of being in public. So if you are in your own room and say, I have faith and I believe all these things, I make confession, it is not confession because confession is made in public in the context of two or three uh, more. So Matthew 7, 21, uh, James 2, 26, all stress um, that faith life is the act of following one's faith. So you have to have a practicing life according to your faith. And where does this take place? In your workplace, in your, in your family or at home? It takes place in the church. Of course, we also live simultaneously at work and family and all that. But uh, where this is practiced and nurtured and disciplined and uh, mature is in the church. Uh, so the comparison may, can be made, uh, the law leading sinners to Christ, while Christ leads the justified, the forgiven, to the church. Right? So we know that the law leads sinners to Christ, to the Savior. Similarly, Jesus leads the justified, or the forgiven, to the church. And the church is where the Holy Spirit oversees. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that. So the Holy Spirit is the manager. He is the overseer, the director, if you will, of the church. And that's where the justified, the forgiven, need to grow. Number two, belonging. Let's look at John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I and in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So you have heard from our church, from Pastor Kang through Logos, that John, the book of John is like um, the heart of the Bible. And the book, within the book of John, John 15 is like the core of that heart. So uh, if you were to pick one chapter uh, of the book of John as the heart, the core, it would be 15. And here, Jesus really puts this principle of how uh, Christians, how we believers can live, how we ought to live. And that is belonging to the vine as its branches. And the vine is Christ, and we are the branches. If we leave the, bran- the, the vine, if we fall away from the vine, we die. The vine lives, but the branch dies. Apart from the vine, the branch dies. Therefore, we are inseparable. Our genetics, we, our uh, characteristics, our color, whatever, should all look the same if we belong to the vine, right? Uh, and for us to live, uh, being fed the n- nutrients, the water, all the, all the good things that come from the root to the vine, we need to belong to, uh, to the body, the vine. So the souls that are separated from the church, which is the body of Christ, will be thrown away like broken branches, weeds, um, and burned up later. Okay, so that's what happens, right? When we rake the, the leaves, the fallen leaves or fallen branches, they're bundled uh, and they're burned. They're used in the fireplace or somewhere um, to, to be thrown away. So souls who don't belong to church are branches that are ready to be bundled and be thrown away. So as soon as a a man makes a decision to become a Christian, to become a believer of Jesus, he has to belong to a church. He has to belong to church. If not, he's going to lose whatever that little faith that he has, that little commitment he has, he's going to lose it if he doesn't belong to the church. So as soon as he decides, I'm going to accept Jesus as my personal Savior, he needs to go to the body of that Savior, the church. 
And belonging to church uh, means that uh, it's belonging to the body that possesses the same attributes, the same authority, the same glory, and the same mission as the vine, Jesus. So then we need to define what church is. Go back in the line. Uh, number B, what is church? Let's turn to Ephesians 1, 22 to 23 and Colossians 1, 24. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Who is he? Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. God put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ, appointed him to be the head of everything for the church. And the church is his body. And the church has the fullness of Christ, fullness of he who fills, because Christ is he who fills, he who blesses, he who gives. He has authority of all things. So if Christ is the head and the church is its body, it shares the same power, same attribute, same authority, same glory, same fullness uh, as, is, uh, as, her as her head. So the church is the body of Christ, the head is Christ. So it is a single entity. Just as the body cannot stay alive, uh, cut off from the head, it has to be attached to the head to live, to move. As soon as the body is cut off from the head, you don't even want to think about that image. It's very, very scary, even like an animal. It's like, oh, you're very scared that it's going to come, come to your dream and you'll have nightmare. Uh, so a church has to belong to the head, and we, members, have to stay intact to the body that belongs to the head. Now let's go to the ed what I call etymology uh, of church, which means the root. You know, where did this word come from? It comes from the Greek word ekklesia. It's a compound word. Oops, yeah, ekklesia. And in Greek, ek uh, means out, like exodus, exit, out. And um, kaleu means to be called, to call. So it's a compound word from that. So ekklesia has meaning of to be called out. Gathered. And chosen. Because the church was called out from the world and gathered, uh, or souls have been called out, believers, justified, forgiven, have been called out from the world and gathered in the name of the king, the head, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, and was chosen to be uh, his body. So that's what it means. He called, out, called us out from the world and gathered us in his glorious name and chose us to, chose the church to be his body. And that's what the word church means such meaning behind that. So the church uh, in Colossians 1.24 it's, is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it's the temple of God. And 1 Timothy 3.15 says it's the house of God. 
built on the foundation of truth and erected with the pillars of truth. But when we think of the church, we tend to think of the building. We tend to think about what it looks like on the outside. Uh, but it's not, it doesn't refer to building. It's, it refers to an assembly or an organization. It's, it's a gathering association of people. You know, it could be an association of all sorts of things, but uh, it's not really, uh, it doesn't really mean it's a building. Rather, it's an entity of people. Yet it's a, it is a separate group from the rest. And that's what church is. It's an assembly of people who believe in the truth that says Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Exactly what Peter said. Who do you say I am? And Peter said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that faith um, is what brings all of us together into the church. Uh, which basically means what Peter was saying uh, was God, you are God who came as man. When he said Christ, the son of the living God, he was talking about two things, the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ, that he, even though he is God, he came as man to do the work uh, of Christ, to die. So it's the gathering in the name of Jesus, name of Yeshua, of two or th more people, so then people say, well, I don't like this church, uh, and I have a big family, so I'm going to start my own church at home. And we've had many people like that, leaving the church, and they have, happen to have a big family, and um, they got ordained, or they ordained each other, I don't know. So they got a lot of ordained ministers in the home, so they said, this is a church. We, look at us, five already, and let's bring more cousins, and we have 10, we have 20. Um, so they think that they have a church, because they have a lot of bodies. But where it says two or three, it means two or three different type of people. It's they come from different walks of life. They don't have social or financial ties. So two or three financially separated people, socially separated people. So these people are together only for one thing, and that's for Christ, uh, in the name of Christ, and that's it. So that um, is very, very important. So Jesus is the head of the church. Saints are its members. So just, we already know that, but it's important to see. Saints, its members. That's the relationship that we have. He's the head. We are the members of his uh, church. The church is his body. And that's what Ephesians 1, 23, 5, 30 say. We'll look at those passages later. So when we say we are members, um, a long time ago we used to have a church member who used to say he couldn't speak English. The only thing he spoke was, hi, I'm a church member. Do you know this? Few of us know this guy. But anyway, he used to say, hi, do you go to church? I'm a church member. That's the only English he says. So he was always saying, he was a church member. So we used to always call him, there's a church member. <laughs> but he's not a member anymore, unfortunately. Anyway, so um, yes, even though we don't say it, we are members. So you can say, I am so-and-so, I'm Joe Kim, and my church is Church of Jesus. I'm a member. I'm a member. You know, American Express card commercials, a member since 19. 1950, yeah, or a member since 1990. You know, that membership is very, very important. Uh, and 
they have pride saying that they're a member, you know, member of club, member of the country club, member of uh, the Republican National Committee or, uh, or the Democratic National Committee, a member of this and this and that. So we should have that same kind of affiliation and pride um, when we say, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus. I'm a member of COJ. Okay? Um, which means that we as a member, I as a member, cannot exist separated from the body. I cannot function without belonging to the body. I cannot live without being part of the body. And I have no worth I have no worth as soon as I leave the body because I am a piece of finger falling on the, uh, off my, of the body. I have no more value. I'm dead. So that's what it means when you say I'm a member. And that's what we need to make the Christian, the committed Christian, to become uh, a member. The origin of the church is from um, Peter's confession. So let's read that together. Matthew 16, 16 to 18. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The passage is so important in understanding our relationship to the church, with the church, uh, and with, with Christ. So Christ, the church, us, all three parties, um, the importance is mentioned there. Um, the church is the gathering of those who have the same confession and the faith as Peter's confession here. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need to, uh, as the church, as members of the church, we need to have the faith that believes that Jesus, who is God by essence, by nature, became man to do the work of Christ. He came to die. He came to die to fulfill the will of the Father, even though he is without sin, he is God. That's the faith that we need to have as church. And this confession um, that Peter made and this faith that we have is like a foundation. And this foundation is a rock that cannot be moved, unmovable rock. Um, and um, if you will, Petra. Petra is the word, a Greek word for rock. Uh, it's an unmovable rock. And above that is the another rock, unbreakable rock, Petros. So Unmovable, unshakable, unbreakable rocks. And that's where the church is built. Um, so imagine how sturdy, how firm the church is. Even if it looks weak, it looks poor in terms of the people in it. It looks small because of the number or the building. It looks shabby. The pastor looks poor, looks weak. If it is built on the foundation of the truth and it's uh, supported by the pillars of the truth, it is um, the church that Christ recognizes as his body. So it is a place where the gates of Hades cannot overcome it. Gates of Hades right there refers to the power of the world, the authority of the world. Hades means does not mean hell. Because when Jesus said, I will build my church, and it's going to be in the gates of Hades, he wasn't saying, I'm going to build my church in hell. Hades there means the world. So the world cannot overcome, uh, cannot, uh, cannot prevail, cannot beat down the church, no matter how small the church may be, how helpless it may appear in the eyes of men. But there are churches that break. There are churches that uh, start and then they close, uh, they disappear. 
um, as quickly as they, they, they start. Um, and so church, such churches, if they're broken, if they disappear, they're no more, then the Lord never built it by definition. If he built the church, it has to stand as a church until he comes back. You can't close the church because it's not doing well. It's not like a business, file bankruptcy and close the shop. Church is not like that. Or uh, people fought and the, the pastor left. They fired the pastor and the people tried to run the church, but they had got into fight and they break up. They are here, they're in Korea, they're in Poland, they're in Czech Republic, they're in Serbia, they're in Bulgaria, everywhere. Everywhere we go there, we hear stories, and they're like, oh, yeah, in our city, there's three more churches. Wow, three more churches in the last six months? It's because people started their own church. They broke up, they closed this church, they opened that one. Um, Any church that closes, the Lord never built. So the individual may be weak. The individual believer may be weak, but the church is strong. So uh, united, um, uh, we live, uh, scattered, we fall. Right? So divided we fall, divided we fall. So united we, li- we uh, stand, sorry, united we stand, divided we fall. So the church is like that. We are, uh, if we are divided, if we are divided and separated, we fall, we die. But united we are standing, we are strong, we can live, we can, we can overcome. So to protect the church that he bought with his own blood, God, Acts chapter 20, 28 says, he sent the Holy Spirit to gather the church, to oversee the church, to nurture the church, to speak to the church, to protect the church. Then we need to talk about the owner of the church, number two, number three. And as we read in Ephesians 1, 20 to 23, it says, God placed all things under the feet of Christ, appointed Christ to be head over all, uh, head over everything for the church. So the owner of the church is Jesus. Jesus is the owner of the church. The pastor is not the owner of the church, even if the pastor is the one who signs the checks. He is not, or she's not the, not the boss, not the owner. Maybe the boss, but not the owner. I take it back. She is. <laughs> okay, so she's not the owner, but I think she's the boss. That's what I, <laughs> she's my boss. So <laughs> The owner, boss in the sense that she, has, she manages, she supervises us. She's the, uh, the, one of the overseers that the, whole, whole, the Holy Spirit is the overseer, the overseer. He is the, the, the head over all churches that make up the church. And then individual churches are then overseen by uh, those the Holy Spirit appoints. Um, so then those are ministers, pastors, missionaries at times, whatever. So they're the ones who start the church, they lead the church, they lead the congregation. Uh, yet they're not the owner of the church. The owner of the church is God. The owner of the church is Christ. He is, so that's why in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 2, it says the church of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 says the church of of God. This is why our church name, Church of Jesus, is so simple, yet it conveys who the owner is. The church belongs to Jesus. We thought, I, I know in Korean it's literally Jesus Gospel Church, I guess, if we wanted to do it like that, but it sounds like very awkward. So we, uh, Pastor decided on Church of Jesus. Unfortunately, there are some cults with that name, so when we try to look to buy a domain, churchofjesus.com, it was like, Weird. We're like, oh, no, 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 we don't have any association with them. But um, Church of Christ, a lot of people t- tend to think they were Church of Christ, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, um, which all try to convey this idea, that they try to say that the church belonged to God, church belongs to Christ, yet they are doing stuff that are irrelevant to Christ and the will of God. 
Nevertheless, we have to understand the ownership is belongs to Christ. He is the he is the owner. He is the boss. He is the he is the chief owner uh, of uh, of the church of all the churches. Uh, and so uh, Colossians 1.18 says the church is the fullness of the one who fills all things. If, if we believe God is he who fills all things, and Jesus is God who fills all things, just like he filled the universe after he made all things, he just couldn't help himself but to fill the universe with stars. He couldn't help himself but to fill the ocean with fish. He couldn't help himself but to fill the sky with Birds. He couldn't help himself but to bless men, the, fan, the first man and the woman, to fill the earth with human. And everything has been filled because of him, because he, is the, he has the attribute of filling all things. And then if we believe that that is Jesus, the word in the beginning, who did all that, made all that, and filled all things, and that he is the head of the church, and I belong to the body of him of of jesus then we naturally have to be filled even though my our individual bank account may be struggling to stay the positive balance the church is filled because of 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 him who owns the church who fills everything who fills the church the fullness of him who fills is in the church amen so the church is rich the church is has wealth it is wealthy even if it means again it doesn't even own its own building it doesn't even have a big property as small as maybe one church van we have now seven or eight but one there was time when we did not have any vans guys it was just cars being people packed and i remember those days people had to you know, duck inside when we go through the tolls in George Washington Bridge because we didn't want to get pulled over. But we put blankets over people. It's like, oh, we only have five people. You know, ten people squashed all together. They were those days, guys. We we had those days. We didn't have vans. We didn't have big cars. Um, even so, we the church has the fullness of He who fills all things. And First Corinthians three twenty three says, it has the uh, it has the authority of God in it. As God allow, uh, there's a, a list of the order of all things. All things are under the church. The church is above. Church is under Christ, and Christ is under God. So all things we know that under God are all things. We know under Christ are all things. But what about us? Where we stand? The church is under Christ, and it's above all things. So again, even the church may not even own a van or even a piece of land. If it is a true church, it's a biblical church that the Holy Spirit oversees it, that Christ built it, then it is above all things. That's why that church has to be so confident. I love when pastor does the church lecture. So proud. So proud of our church. So proud that I belong to this church. I belong to our church, that this church of Jesus is my home, that I'm so proud that it has so many testimonies and experiences and tears and, and, and investments and sacrifices, all those things that were poured into building and edifying the church of Jesus. I am so proud when I hear about that. Don't you feel proud? Amen. I feel so proud. I get so excited. And when I go overseas and I say to other people, I make them drool. They're all drooling. I wish. Yeah, okay, whatever. So then I show the worship video. They're just, they're speechless. And they cry when they watch the worship video. It's like, why are you crying? But anyway, they get moved. I mean, I cry because I miss home, but they cry. I don't know why. 
But they cry because they're, they see the movement of the Holy Spirit in our worship. Uh, even though, again, not everyone looks like that every Sunday. Uh, the video captured people really, really well at their best uh, worshiping moments. And uh, we're so proud, and I'm so proud. And I go there, and I say it with all confidence, all pride and tears. And they all, you know, wish they could be. And pastors all look at me like, yeah, you're lucky. Or some members come up to me after, and they say, I want to go to church like yours. I've had people like that. I just My heart breaks when I leave them after telling them about church, and I can't really help them, you know. Um, nevertheless, we have to teach about the church uh, having these characteristics. So Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church, and Colossians 1.18 again, the, his body is the church. So why, why is this like repeated over and over? The reason is, if the head is glorified, the body is glorified. If the head is in shame, then the body is in shame. If the head suffers, then the body suffers. If the head is crowned, then the body is crowned. If the head belongs to the king or the queen of England, the body belongs to the queen of England. You don't touch her body, right? You don't touch her and you don't go, the American way of doing this. (laughs) That's us. American way is like patting on the back and, you know, doing this. But that's what Michelle Obama did. And there was a whole scandal. It's like, oh, my gosh, she touched her majesty's body and all that. Um, so the reason why they have such strict rules and etiquettes about the Queen of England, even though she's just the grandma, grandmom, uh, is because she is royal highness. She, she is the head of the nation uh, or the British um, Commonwealth. So her body and her head share the same glory. And the same way, if the, body, if the head Christ is glorified and crowned, then the church ought to share the same glory, have received the same treatment. The church was bought by the blood of Jesus, as Acts chapter 20, 28 says. So Jesus paid the price for the church with his blood. And I talked about this in EM Retreat, and Pastor Kang talked about it um, two weeks ago about belonging, because we, Jesus paid the price with the highest price, the highest bidding, and that's his blood. So it, uh, we, he, we were bought, individual souls, all men, the first Adam, all those who belong, were bought to belong to uh, Christ. But he also bought the church, as Acts 20 there says. He bought it with his blood. So he owns the church. The church belongs to Christ. He is the owner of the church. And Ephesians 5, uh, 20, 25, 33, I'm oh, sorry, I don't have it there. 25, 5, 25 to 33 says, he loves the church as a husband does uh, his wife. All right, so uh, as a husband you know, and a lot of uh, presiders for, uh, uh, for wedding ceremonies use the passage and say, oh, the church, Christ loves the church, so you husband, groom, need to love your bride, wife. Just like they, they have it wrong. They have it flipped over. Um, just as a husband ought to love his wife and wife the same for her husband, we need to understand how much Christ loves his church. We are, just as we know, that we are the apple of his eye. She, she said, Pastor Kang said that a couple of weeks. We are the apple of my, you know that's right, Stevie Wonder. I will always be around. Anyway, so that was our songs in our time. So apple of my eye, you can put in your eye, and it's, you're, you're happy with it. You're so precious. that It's as precious as the apple of your eye, inside your eye. And that's how he feels about the souls he bought, and that's how he feels about his church that he bought with his blood. He loves his church. He loves his church. He loves every part of the church, just as we love every part of our own bodies. Even if we're not so satisfied about our own bodies, we still take care of it, right? You never see anybody beating their own body. It's like, you fat body, I hate you. 
spare tire. Why do I have this spare tire? I'm poking. Nobody, maybe, you, maybe some of you do it as exercise. I don't know. Beat it and lose it. But um, we don't do it. You still take care of your body. You put lotion in. I mean, it's just like because you don't have enough lotion, you stop putting it on. But you put the hair treatment when it's dry. Oh, my God, I got to do the treatment. I got acne. I got to put some stuff on. You, you take care of your body so well and so much and so often with love. You never complain about putting lotion on your body. You take that extra time to put lotion, moisturize, take care of it. And if it doesn't look good, then you have to get a massage pedicure, manicure, you got to get all that stuff and you don't complain about it because you love your body. And imagine then if God paid the highest price to buy the church, how much he must love his church. Just because we don't hear it, we don't feel it, doesn't mean he couldn't care less. He does care. He loves his church very much. And 1 Timothy 3.16 says it has the mystery of godliness. The church is the mystery of godliness. Now then, let's talk about the authority of the church. Number four. So when Jesus said to uh, Peter in Matthew 16, the gates of Hades will not uh, overcome the church, prevail the church, he was saying that because of the authority of the church, uh, the authority of the world has no place to stand. The authority of the church is greater than the authority of the world. Of the world. That's what Jesus was referring to. The authority of the world is the authority of the devil. And Jesus came to destroy the authority of the devil, to, to seize and confiscate the authority of the devil. And by doing so, he would stand his church with the greatest authority of the whole world, whole, whole universe. So the church is an organization that does not fear the world, that does not fear the authority of the world, that does not fear death. That's the power of the church. So, you know, you remember Pastor Kang saying these giving funny examples about having politicians coming to our church. And, uh, and I say this when I go to Europe, and they all laugh. They're in disbelief. Like, wow, I can't. And I was there. I don't know if some of you remember. We were in there, and she was, she, some, uh, you probably didn't know who it was, but I knew who it was. It was the only guy who was sitting on the seat. She said, get on your knees. The Sunday service, not Friday, but she rarely does it. How many times has she done it on Sundays? Very few times. But she preached, and somebody went to her and said, Pastor, there's a politician who's visiting us, and he's rich. Can you please go easy on him? Maybe it was dedication. I don't know. She said, okay, 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 just go. So then she goes there, and she sees this guy sitting there with you know stiff neck, and he's not listening. It's just whatever, the whole attitude. And then she's talking about the authority of the king of kings, of, of Jesus, and she said, Everybody, get on your knees. Go, go down on the floor and pray. Get off the seats and pray. And everybody's like, oh, here we go again. And they're all sitting down on the floor. And this guy is now moving. And he would just sit there. He was so awkward. The whole room is on the floor. And he's sitting in the back. I remember I was in the, playing the piano. So he was sitting all the way. And she goes, you too. <laughs> went, <laughs> so, yes, she does have that crazy personality, as you know. But... It's not because she's a meanie. It's not because she's mean. It's because she loves and knows the authority of Christ. She knows the authority of the king of kings, the authority of the name above all names. That is the name of Yeshua, the name of Christ. Therefore, she cannot stand anyone who will not kneel before the name of Christ. So that's why she would do all that. And I say that, I give the example, and they're just shocked. The European, they just can't, they can't imagine. They're even scared people. You know, even pastors in Eastern Europe, they're so scared to tell their members to come to church on, on, on Sunday. They're afraid to tell their worship leaders to come on time. Worship leaders come at 10, 10. The service starts at 10. 
but the pastor is scared to say. They don't have any authority because of this whole post-communism, all that stuff. So we have to teach them and give them strength and, and all that. But to imagine, you know, just crush any ego in the room, not because of one's temper, but because of the authority of the church, because of the authority of Christ, is unimaginable. Yet it is biblical. That's what the Bible says. The church does not fear any authority of the world. Matthew 18, 8, uh, 15 to 19 well, in 18 to 19, it says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you if, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you ask here will be done over there. I will do as you ask. That's what Jesus was promising there. So that is the incredible church that the, uh, the church has that the world knows not of. Even though it seems powerless in the eyes of men, it, it has the greatest power in the world because it's the power that Jesus gave in his name. So whatever the church binds on earth, it will be bound in heaven. Whatever the church loses on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. So what does that mean? Uh, the church is the gateway to heaven. What does that mean? It means you have to go through the gateway, the church, to go to heaven. The church is a passage you need to go through to go to heaven. Without the church, you can't go. That's what it means. Who said that? That's what Jesus said. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's not just any Christian or singular Christians, but it is the church. So if the church sees a man's faith to be fit to go to heaven that man will go to heaven. If the church sees the man is evil and will not quit sinning, the church can cut him off. And anyone who has been cut off from the church by the authority of the church, excommunicate, expulsion. You know, when you get kicked out of school, you can't go back to that school. you got to move somewhere else, go to other school. And these people who are kicked out of church, whatever reason, they may go to other church and they may have positions, they may serve, but in the eyes of God, they've been cut off. They've been cut off, and the church has the authority to do that. People who are cut off from the church cannot be saved. How can you be saved when you're falling off from the vine? So that's the authority that the church has. And, of course, the old, like the Orthodox and the Catholic Church, they have gone to the extreme of having this um, uh, almost uh, political power because it was, it's the state church. Um, and we don't want to be the state church. Christian church cannot be the state or national church. There is no such thing. We need to believe in religious freedom. We, we should, our interest should not be in turning the United States of America as, or the, the Christian church as the state church of the United States. That's not our goal. Because if you become the state church, you can kill other people, people of other religions, or, or religions rather, people of other faiths. So, you know, like the conflict in Serbia with Bosnia and all that, was around religion. Serbi Serbs are Orthodox, and wherever they conquer, they build their churches. And they spend lots of money, and they have a gold um, dome, whatever, on the top of the building. And, and why do they do that? It's to say, this is our land. So they build a church. So the Bosnian Muslims cannot have place there. They're persecuted. So I see that a lot in Europe. Here, we don't see that. Uh, 
so church should not be a state church. Church should not become a national religion. Uh, and that was the, uh, the wrong thing that the Catholic and the Orthodox churches became. And the other thing about the Catholic church is that they believe that the key was given, the key to heaven was given to Peter, the individual, the man Peter. So uh, there was St. Peter Cathedral in, uh, in, in Rome, and there's a statue of Peter there. I've been there, and uh, Peter has no toes because statue is sitting there, and he has no toes. You know why? People have been touching and kissing that thing for so many years. The guy has no toes. The statue has no toes because they're kissing. You know, Peter is the, our first, our father, the father of a church. So they make Peter into this sort of the first pope, um, and uh, they worship Peter as the one who holds the key to heaven. But what Jesus said was, I'm giving you the key to heaven. He wasn't talking about Peter the man. He was talking about the church. So the authority of the church is given to not man, like the papacy you know, of the Catholic and the similar thing in the Orthodox church, uh, but it is given to the church, the church, the congregation, uh, the assembly in the name of Christ. And the authority of the early church uh, was so great that they even put people to death. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, there was a case where a man who, had, who slept with his father's wife maybe his second wife, whatever, and he kept sinning so he wouldn't turn from his way. So what did the church do? church prayed for the man to die. Oh, yeah, yeah. This has not happened in our church. Let's not make history. <laughs> it's, it's bad enough. We have bad rep to begin with, COJ, cult. Oh, my God, some, they killed somebody. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, Pastor and I feel like maybe we should pray for someone to die. Not because we want to kill people. It's because they should die now then keep on sinning. You know, that was the desire of the early church. And the thing was, it happened so often. Why did that happen so often? It was because it was the early church. And the early church time, uh, the Holy Spirit worked in such ways that the people around and in the church can see, wow, look at the authority of the church. So they will all tremble and be submissive to the authority of the church. So lucky for us, for you and me, it doesn't happen as often today. But in, the, uh, in those days, it happened. Uh, in Acts 6 also, uh, if you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. When they lied to Peter at the church about their offering, they were put to death instantly, right there, in front of everyone. So um, this was to convey, to illustrate and stress uh, to the Christians at the time, the authority the church had to put sinners to death. Let's talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which goes with the church. Turn to uh, Matthew 12, verses 30 to 32. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Blasphemy, uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the sin that can never be forgiven. All sins can be forgiven. Even if you are Osama bin Laden or Hitler and you've killed thousands of people and you've caused atrocities in history, whatever evil thing you can imagine, you can be forgiven if you believe in Jesus. 
But there is sin that cannot be forgiven. Even the power of the blood of Jesus won't work in this sin. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven neither in this uh, age nor in the age to come. So what is that? It's the sin of not gathering with Jesus. So it's, it's the sin of not gathering. So what does the gathering mean here? The gathering of the church. So if anyone causes hindrance to the gathering of the church, anyone who tries to scatter and break up the gathering cannot be forgiven. Whatever the reason, whatever uh, vendetta they have or anger, resentment, whatever the excuse they have, whatever the reason, if they scatter the church, if they try to break the church, break up the church, if they try to uh, cause factions within the church, you know, divisions within the church that gets in the way of gathering, this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, against the church. And again, the church and the Holy Spirit are one because the church came, was born with, at the Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, the church was born. If you are against, if anyone's against the Holy Spirit, he is against the church. If he's against the church, he's against the Holy Spirit. He sees as one. The two are one. So, blasphemy against the church uh, cannot be forgiven. That's, there are people they say, you know, I love the Holy Spirit. I love, I love Jesus. Um, I love the Word of God, but I hate the church. So I'm going to start talk bad things about the church. I'm going to put up on blogs. I'm going to say all these things about the church so they don't go to the church. I'm going to talk to the people in the church and say, you know what? You should not stay here. Let's go out. You shouldn't. Why? You still there? You still there? Why are you still there? Let me tell you what, what's wrong with that church. So they hinder people. And I'm not saying it because I want to keep people in here and you can't go. You can't go. It's not that. That's what the Bible says. Yet many so-called Christians carelessly commit these sins and they are not even afraid. Uh, accusing churches as being heretic or a cult uh, is interfering. It's scattering. Calling a church that's uh, built on the tr truth and sealed by the Holy Spirit uh, as being uh, heretical or uh, preventing others from coming to uh, such church, these are all blasphemy against the church. Let's go to Ephesians 5, 29 to After all, no one ha ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. If we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the church and Christ are like husband and wife, like Mr. President and Mrs. President. If the Mr. President dines at... The White House sleeps in the White House. Mrs. President also dines and eats, uh, uh, stays and sleeps in the White House. If Mr. President travels in Air Force One, Mrs. President also does the same. If the Queen of England and her husband, who's Prince, Prince Philip, they go together. They share the same uh, glory, the benefits, the treatment. So if we know that the church, again, even if it seems small, and even if it looks different per se, I mean, if it's obviously called then we do need to know about that. If it says, you know the definition of cult, right? From logos, different salvation, different mediator, and all that stuff. Uh, different gospel, different Jesus. Then that's a problem. Then you have to say that. But just because you don't speak in tongues, and they speak in tongues, and you say, that's cult. 
then that can prevent people from gathering. Therefore, you can be committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And you are dismissing the authority and the power of the church. We need to understand the glory of, glory, uh, of Jesus. Glory that Jesus has is the same as, as the glory that the church has. The authority that Jesus has is the same as the authority that the church has. It's the same. The head and the body do not differ. They're the same. They have the same DNA. They go wherever they go. They go together. So if Jesus is the head, Christ is the head, and church is the body, they share the same. So if we mis- mistreat the church while we say we love the, church, we, we love the head, you can say, I love, I love you, the head, but you're kicking the feet. You're not loving the head. You're stepping on the foot. I don't like you. You're ugly, but I love the head. It doesn't work. You love the head, you love the body. If you love the body, you love the church. You love the head. So the church and Christ are one. In Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Jesus, when he was on earth in John 2.19, destroyed this temple and now raised it again in three days, he was speaking of his own body as the temple. He was referring to himself as the temple. And then here in Revelation 21, which is talking about in the new heaven, the era of the new heaven and new earth, uh, there is a new temple, new Jerusalem coming down. But there is no temple. It's the, it's the new Jerusalem. It's the holy city. But it refers to his church, the church, his bride. So when the church then comes down, she is beautiful as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So there's, there is no separate temple, there is no Jesus separate, but there's only one, the holy city coming down, the new Jerusalem coming down like a beautiful bride. Why does it just say one thing? Why doesn't it say like the temple there and Christ, Jesus there? It's because Jesus and his bride, the church, are one. So when it comes down, it's the, uni- the unification, the, the, the unity of the groom, Christ, and the bride, the church. There is no two separately. So in that day, they will become one. So in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus, say, uh, Jesus says, uh, I, the spirit and the bride say, I, Jesus. Uh, so he was referring to the Holy Spirit himself and the church as one. He was speaking of the three as one. So he treats the church as his own, as himself, just as he treats the Holy Spirit as one with him. So if you know this, you need to treat the church as you would treat Jesus, who is seated on the throne, as you would treat the king of the world, of of the president of the United States, even better. So just because you're not happy with the little things that are going on in the church, you are to not speak badly about the church. And I'm not saying it because I'm a pastor, but I'm saying it because I fear the word of God. Amen. You have to fear the word of God. And that's what it says. If you understand the authority that Christ has, then understand the authority the church has. The church has. So we are to not haphazardly speak negatively about the church or negatively about any other church. It's just because whatever. Uh, so these people who co- come and say really stupid things like, yeah, Church of Jesus is called because they turn off the light to pray. I mean, it is kind of unusual for new people. So, you know, when you bring new, don't bring newcomers Friday anyway, unless they're Christians. 
It's like they bring people like off the street, come to Friday. What do you expect? They're not going to come back. It's crazy. It's turn off the light and it's scary and everybody's speaking. It's like, oh my God, let's just break into cold sweats and run out the parking lot. They, you know, don't bring them unless they're Christians. So if they're already Christians, they want to pray, go ahead, bring them on Friday. But set them up, you know, tap on their shoulder and say, guess what? Pastor's going to preach about an hour and we're going to turn off the light. Why? <laughs> well, so we can concentrate. Concentrate, concentrate. You know, it's like the game, concentrate. That's how I experience, I explain it. So don't leave them like help, helpless, like a deer caught in the headlight. <gasps> oh my God, I'm not going back there again. So they did the blog. COJ is a cult because they turn off the light Friday night. So it doesn't make any sense. But don't give them weapons either. Don't feed them with weapons. Uh, explain to them. But whatever the reason, they should not be saying that. They should not be putting that in. I don't know if they have even jobs. Why do they even put up the blogs? And I haven't seen it in English because Americans are a little bit open-minded. But I think Koreans, Korean-speaking congregation and members, visitors have these issues. So they put up these negative, ugly stuff online too to attack our church. But again, I'm not even saying it to defend our church. I'm, trying to, I'm saying this to defend the word of Jesus, the word of God, of the Bible. So we need to treat the, treat the church as the same as, uh, as, as we would treat Jesus. Let's talk about the basis of the church. If someone registers at a church but does not attend, he's not a member. Definition of a member is an active member. So by, by definition, member means active. You're actively participating or actively attending. But uh, old churches like the Orthodox or the, uh, the Catholic Church, once a member, you're a lifetime member. Lifetime member, you know, it's like country club, lifetime member. Here, this way. You know, you got the seat written. You haven't been here in three years? Welcome, you know. But whereas, like, where were you last week? You know, where were you on Wednesday? You didn't come. So, uh, because we expect members to be active, actively participating in all the gatherings. Uh, let's go to Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, and in Thessalonians 2, 1, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. So what is the basis of the church? Gathering. Basis of the church is gathering. What is the secret to good faith? Gathering. How do you keep your faith? Gather. Gathering. You know, how do you keep on going until the end? Gathering. So gather into worship. Gather into small groups. Gather into fellowship groups. But a lot of people say that's the definition of cult. Cult people or cults gather all the time. They even live together. So, but we don't do that. We don't live together. Uh, unless you live in Rose Tree. Rose Tree, yes. Right, Juan? Yeah, Rose Tree. I'm not a cult. Maybe you are. But anyway, I didn't say that. Anyway, so secret to good faith is to gather often. Uh, because if we believe that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon, as Hebrews 10.25 says, gather as often as you can. The, the church that is competent, that is active, that is vibrant, is a church that gathers often. So our church, I say this with pride, a church, and they all go, oh, my God, over there. And I say, you know, we come on Sunday, and then we have the big ones. You know, we have the Sunday, we have the home group on Wednesday, and then we have the Friday night prayer service. And then optional for some people, Saturday, uh, the Bible school, uh, Logos Bible Institute. And then Tuesdays, it's regional group evangelism, street evangelism. And then Thursday, it's the age group or prayer meetings or a praise team. Or, and then Monday night is to visit, blah, blah, blah. And they're all like, 
they're getting all dizzy because some of them don't meet until just Sunday or maybe one Friday. So um, you can't expect people to grow in faith if they don't gather. The more gathering the church encourages, the greater faith it has. So praise, prayer, service, these are all received in the assembly. You can be the nicest person and the most giving, generous person in the world. You help the poor, shelter, homeless people. You feed the hungry. You do all the kinds of stuff. You give money to all the charity organizations, philanthropic causes, and Red Cross, save the children, save the water, save the dolphins, whatever. You do everything. They have everything. Save dolphins, save water, save children. So they have all this stuff. So you do all that. And then you go to heaven and say, God, I did all that. I gave all that money. I spent all that time there. And he's going to say, I do not know you. I don't know any of that. What are you talking about? Because only the service, the giving, and the time, and the talent, the effort that we make in the assembly for the cause of the church, uh, for the cause of the kingdom of Christ through the church, will be remembered and will be rewarded accordingly. So we praise in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. Psalm 35, 18 says, Among throngs of people, I will praise you. And the model of the church is the camp of Israel. In Leviticus 8, verse 4, it shows um, the camp, the way they camped around the, the tabernacle. The people, the 12 tribes, four, uh, three on each four sides, each of the four sides of the tabernacle all gathered, and they were in the midst. Uh, they were surrounding the presence of the, Lord, uh, of the Lord God, and that's the model we have as the church today. God dwells in the assembly of people. He dwells seated on the throne of our praises. So you can praise at home, but um, that is just your prayer. The true worship and praise takes place in the assembly of the church. The strength of, of Christians comes from gathering, as Acts 4, 28, 31 shows in chapter 9, verse 31. When these uh, apostles and disciples gathered together to pray, the earth shook, uh, and there was a sign that the Holy Spirit was working and answering their prayer. So with boldness, they preached the gospel. And in Acts 1, verse 15, and chapter 12, 12, and elsewhere, we see that the, in the gathering of Christians, they received the Holy Spirit. First, it began in chapter 2 with the, at the Pentecost with the 120 people gathered in Mark's house. And they were praying uh, for days and days. On the 10th day, they finally received the Holy Spirit. And he set their tongues on fire and they, they broke into tongues. And as a result, they poured out to the streets and started to preach the gospel. Um, the Holy Spirit came to... Um, uh, to, to, to the gathering, many other uh, places. So we see the Holy Spirit having strong connection with the church and with the gathering. The Holy Spirit works uh, in, in gatherings. Yes, you can receive the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues on your own at home or in prayer mountains, whatever. But the normal, the universal model is to have it in the gets, in the midst of gathering. It can be here in Zoe at the retreat, but in gatherings, as we pray together with the laying of the hand, you receive the Holy Spirit, and as a result, you receive the gift of tongues, uh, and that's the universal, the normal way. But then there are people who say, well, I don't need to go to church to do that. I could do it on my own. You know, I don't need anyone else's help. I can do it. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit on my own. I spoke in tongues by myself. I see visions on my own. These people are just gurus, you know. They're gurus. They're all spiritual, and they get tempted, and they become very proud as a result. Faith life takes place in multitudes. It's in, in the gathering. So 
it's very, very important for church members to gather and at our church, Church of Jesus, to become a deacon, uh, even though in, I don't know, next five, ten years, maybe 90% of our church will be deacons. I don't know. So it's just by certain age, if you meet the requirement, you become a deacon. So soon we're going to have to meet in that room because we're packing up in this room. Uh, for you to be, but nevertheless, we don't make anybody deacons. You know other churches, uh, deacons go drinking together. Elders, they have beer parties. So I'm talking about, <laughs> so of course, Catholic Church, definitely. They get together, they're drinking wine, getting drunk. So all that stuff, yeah, normal out there. But here in our church, our level of deaconship is like the level of evangelist or a preacher, even pastor. Um, so for for someone to become a deacon in our church, number one, they have to attend all the meetings. They have to attend all the meetings, meaning Lord's Day service, Friday service, uh, Wednesday meetings, and all the critical meetings. They have to, uh, they have to be giving tight, all the stuff that they have to do, but the key is they have to attend all the meetings. Now, for some reason, you can't attend a meeting one of the nights of the week because of your job. What do we say? Quit the job. Quit the job. Quit it and ask the Father. Pray to the Father and you'll get it. You can't quit and you keep missing Friday? Okay, you're fired. So that's what happens and you have to start over again. So even though a deaconship is voluntary and it's not a paid position, it's a position that we consider as honor. It is not, a, it's not an honorable position, really. It's more servant, it's servant position, yet we consider it as honor because to be a deacon in our church you have to be up there, you know. So in our church, so-and-so is deacon. It's like, wow, it's like halo on their heads. Like, wow, they're great. It's because they meet the requirement of attending all the meetings. Number six, the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to first go and make disciples. Let's go to Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the mission of the church is to send out its members to make disciples of all nations. So at the end of each Lord's Day service, we end with benediction, the blessing um, that's declared from the pulpit by the pastor. And that's the blessing and the prayer that it's the church's members leave the church and go back to the world with. So they have that mission to live by the word and carry out the word by making disciples of all nations. Does that mean, however, that you are being sent out to Africa or China some people maybe, but uh, where we are is the world, and where we are, especially where we are literally in the tri-state area, is all nations, full of all, uh, people of all nations. So we are to go out and do the work of making disciples, teaching them to obey. Um, so the importance of the church, send out, come back, send out, come back. So this is the pattern, the rhythm of the church, and the mission. And so the mission is to not to dwell together, sit together, eat together, hang out together all the time, because corruption happens when uh, the blood, you know, when the blood stops to stop circulating, then you have problem in your body. You know, the whole Chinese medicine, Asian medicine is the circulation from head to toe. Everything has to circulate. But once it gets stuck somewhere, then you have problem. 
you have a heart attack, you have stroke, whatever, it happens. So circulation like that, we need to go out when we need to go out, and we need to come back when we need to come back. But if you don't go out and you say, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to stay together with my best friend, and you, know, you, make, church, uh, you make friends in the church because you don't want to hang out with your worldly friends, so you want to spend all your time with your church friends, and you eat together, you live together, you watch movie together, you go shopping together, you do everything together. And when you do that, you don't always talk about church. You know that, right? The stuff runs out. It's like, oh, anyway. Anyway, so by the way, did you hear about that? So you talk about, oh, the world was so good, the ritual was so good, the event was, did you meet son? Yeah, they're going to bring the, yeah. Um, anyway, so did you hear about uh, what they said or what happened? You know, so when you run out of topic, you start talking about gossip. It's just natural pattern of conversation. And then it gets to the level where you get separated from the church, where you're divided. Um, so just because you're hanging out with church friends does not necessarily mean that it's beneficial to you. So it's very, very important. I learned it early on. You know, pastor used to say, don't even roommate with just, don't just move in. Just because, I mean, of course, in a desperate situation, they have an extra room, you go there. But you have to think about how that's going to influence your spiritual life and your church life. Because some people are better just seeing on Sundays and not live together. Because once you live together, you find the ugly, the bad and the ugly in the shower, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, everywhere. So then you don't have that relationship anymore. So if you can help, don't even roommate or don't get into business together. Don't borrow money from each other. Don't lend any money. I mean, lend money unless you're going to give it away. Don't chase after them and say, you owe me 20 bucks. You owe me 20 bucks for 20 years ago. You didn't pay me back. So that is not going to work. So dwelling together, that pooling together and stuck together is not necessarily helpful for us. We have to go out to seek souls and then come back with souls. And then we bless and fed and healed and, and disciplined and strengthened and then send out again. This is a natural flow and pattern for the church and church life. So um, it has to quickly disperse. So for example, when we have small group meetings, and Pastor runs like the seminar, regional group seminar and group leader seminars, and she reminds us uh, the competent leader is someone who knows the flow of the meeting. Like he can feel or she knows the rhythm, the moment to end, and the moment to extend. But people who are not competent and if you will, clueless, clueless leaders will just keep on talking and talking. and th- Everybody's falling asleep, but they're talking and talking and going on and on. Let's pray for the 10th time. I mean, it's not even dedication, but they have monthly meetings, but they pray 10 times. You want, you don't do that, right? Yes. So, <laughs> I don't think you do. So twice, three times is good. See you later. Bye. Pastor Kang is like... Number one, in knowing this, she's very, very quick with that. And sometimes in our uh, staff meetings, sometimes it's long, but it's necessary. We need that. We need the power of prayer for dedication, some big events coming up, Zoe and all that stuff. But sometimes she just, you know, ends certain meetings with her own prayer. But then it's like midnight, and you've been at church for 12 hours practicing, and you're going, let's kneel down, and let's pray for 10 items. And 10, oh, by the way, let's pray for Broad Avenue. Let's pray for 32nd Street. Let's pray for... Then people are just, they don't want to come back. It's just like, oh, no, thanks, I'm busy. You know, you're not going to come. And it just drags on. So when it's at the peak, then you say, okay, let's go home. So end on a strong high note. Walk on on a high note, not on the low note. When everybody's like, oh, so boring. Okay, let's go home. But when it's like, oh, my God, it's so fun. Let's go home. Then you're like, oh, but next time, next time. So music is the same way. And we say this in music, improvisation. I learned in jazz, too. They say, like, when you're doing solo part, don't do the overkill. Some people do overkill, like on and on. It's like, oh, God, stop. But it's like when you do a little bit, you're like, oh, I like that. And they come out, mm, and you're like, oh, it's good. And it's over. Oh. 
and then you gotta get the recording, and they're not gonna play again. Like that, you know, everything is like that in life. The comedians, they have this whole routine. They walk on a high note. They don't wait, stay until jokes run out. You know what I mean? Comedians, stand-up comics, they go to comedy club. They don't stay until the last joke. Oh, I don't have any more. See you later. But it's like everybody's laughing on the floor, laughing, hitting each other. Okay, bye. Good night. Good night. And it's like, oh, no, come back. You know, like that. So when you have monthly meetings or uh, regional group meetings, if you sit around and go, oh, anyway, so how's the, how's the weather or how's the business? Or the how the Yankees, you know. So if you get to that level, it's time to go home, you know. So don't get it to get level. Um, stop that meeting. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, I know some meetings. I notice when I go visit because I have turns and EMs, especially new people. So I try to visit, especially after coming back from Europe. I do that. And some, it's it's interesting. Younger groups have longer meetings, and older groups go home early because they have to go to bed. So. Uh, <laughs> Why are you laughing so loud, Dylan? Your group is pretty young. What are you talking about? So, some groups, they have like a separate dessert sec- session. Dessert session. So they eat the dinner thing, and then they, they have the meeting. And then, ooh, it's time for ice cream. So another 30 minutes, 40 minutes, even an hour just for the ice cream. So we go home at 11.30 or go home at, uh, at midnight. But they're having like blasts. They're having so much fun. I mean, I'm not trying to be a pop party pooper, and they don't even have fun. But they come to meeting because Wednesday is good. Then you can take advantage of that. I'm not, too, I'm not saying like be a party pooper. Hooper and say, nah, no, we're just going to pray, then they're not going to come. I mean, you have to customize for the meeting and the population, uh, but you don't want to drag it out. Uh, in the Bible, the church in Jerusalem at some point reached 50,000 people, so it was a mega church. But then persecution took place, and James was killed. It was the first murder in Jerusalem there. And then the church scattered and spread throughout Samaria. So we see that uh, when the church ignores God's dispensation, his will of, his providence of spreading out, then he will let persecution happen. He will let um, some uh, difficult times take place so that the church can break up, so the gathering can be broken up. So we shouldn't try to overcome that. I know it is more fun to be together, especially new Christians. You know, you want to be together all the time. You just want to hang out and stay in the church. Uh, but the rhythm, again, the natural rhythm rhythm flow that's good for our spirit is to go back to the world do our fighting and then come back go again and then come back and um you know people who are like who get lonely easily they don't want to separate from church they just want to stay there you know they just want to stay together and, and make more friends in the church and spend more time together but solitude being lonely is a good thing for christians especially and uh you know, I've been going to Europe since 2008, and it was really hard the first two times. And the second time I said, I'm not going back there. Please don't send me. I was crying. I said, oh, Father, I don't want to go. I wasn't crying because of the will to be done, but I was crying because I didn't want to go. It was so hard. I mean, the first times were so hard. It was just Serbia was crazy. It was just so many things happened, and uh, I was so lonely. Like, not lonely, like, oh, I, I miss my husband. It's not that, but I miss our child, my family, but I miss not having support. I'm alone. Like, I'm a solo gunner out there, and then my base is here. So I felt that that, that kind of level of solitude. And, you know, Pastor always on Skype or phone, she's always the gung-ho cheerleader. You can do it. Yes, you can do it. It's good. It's good. It's good. Eat it. Eat it. Burn it. It's good. I'm bleeding. I'm like, oh, I can't. Got it. So I hang up. But you know what? I go, 
yes, I can do it. I go downstairs, I march down there, and all right, four more lectures, so I can do it. So um, there was, like, one time in Serbia, I was, like, weeping. I think she said it to the church that time. I mean, it was crazy. One day, we had 95 people show up, and we had to switch the hotel same day. Thank God to Pastor Nam and his magical words. And we found the hotel same afternoon. And 95 people went there. And then it wasn't even a stage. We had, I had to stand on a crate, milk crate. You know, milk crate, milk box. I stood on top of there. It's a dining room with 95 people. And did 95 people come back? No, only 35 people. So it was bad organization. But it was so bad. And the, oh, my God, the hotel was, had hair there in the shower drain. And we were coming as guests. It was disgusting. So I was just so uh, upset. And I remember calling her the first night. I said, oh, I, just, I, I don't know. It just slipped out. I just I want to go home. And she's like, I understand. But you go out there. Go out there. <laughs> So then, okay, okay, amen, amen. And that's the faith I think God sees as, um, you know, as my faith. And because of that, he blesses me. Because I turn around very quickly. You know, I, well, whatever, blame it on my blood type, whatever. But it's a quick turnaround. I go down and I'm up and I got to go and finish my mission. And, you know, I think about going to Czech Republic. This time it's only going to be one week because we finished Poland. And next time I have two countries to go to, but this time only one. But when I think about it and I start singing songs like, you know, going out there and all that, and I start to get sad. Just packing the bags makes me sad. I, mean, I hate packing bags. I have to count my vitamins Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> vitamins Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'm doing that. All that stuff makes me so sad. And I'm thinking, like, i got to do the laundry next week. I have to do all this. i got to prepare for this. I have to do the dedication. All that, prepare everything before I leave. And I'm getting sad. Leaving is so hard. But now I realize that moment of being alone gives me time to think and gives me time to reflect and that's what Pastor told me. She said, you're going to appreciate being alone now all the more. Because as you grow older in Christian life and spiritual life, and you deal with so many people, and you conversation, conversation, their problem, your problem, is like all oh, like jammed in. But when you go out, then you catch your breath. And then you look in, you really appreciate that time. So I am getting sad, but then there's a little part of me that says, I'm going to catch breath, and I'm going to have my own time. Like my own time with God, my own time to reflect and think about. I can look out the window and I can talk to, talk to Jesus. I can do that. I can look out the window and talk to Jesus. Not here. I can't because I have so many things to think about and so many things to get to. So solitude uh, is very, very valuable in that sense. So don't be afraid of being alone. Don't be afraid of being lonely because that time, then you're going to be like desperate for souls. I'm going to save one more soul. I'm going to go find one more soul. I'm going to gather one more. And then you go out with that passion and that yearning. Then God will give you soul to bring. Hallelujah. Baptize those who we find. Those who receive the name Jesus, those whose sins are forgiven by his name are saved. They need to be baptized into Christ, into the name of Yeshua. So the church that does not baptize is not church by definition. Baptized by immersion, period. Because the word baptism doesn't mean christening, doesn't mean aspersion or sprinkling. It means immersion. So if a church does not immerse, uh, in its baptism, it's not a church. That's it. So for a church to be true church, biblical church, it has to baptize by immersion in the name of Yeshua. See, we have to teach them to obey. We have to teach the word and help them to obey the word. That's our job. If we just teach them and say, good luck, you're on your own, we don't care for their soul. We have to teach them to get to the next level, try to live a life of obedience. D, 
lead them to receive the Holy Spirit. After they are baptized, after they start to obey, then they need to receive the Holy Spirit. And all those passages that I wrote there uh, reflect the parts where they receive the Holy Spirit and they started speaking in tongues. So uh, in Acts 2 it happened, Acts 8 with the um, with the church in Samaria and in Acts 10 with the family of Cornelius. When the word was being preached, they received the Holy Spirit and they broke in tongues. Um, Paul also was baptized with the Holy Spirit after he was baptized with water. And the church in Ephesus was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. So if someone says they believe in the Holy Spirit being the uh, one person of the Trinity God, the triune God, then they also need to then acknowledge the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But then there are those denominations and Christians say the gifts are 2,000 years ago. There's no more gift. So, you know, Baptists, for example, Baptist denomination, they don't acknowledge, most of them, by their uh, denomination doctrine, they don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So they're a very, very quiet, like old conservative church. So they do baptize, like us, but they don't teach about the Holy Spirit. Um, so when we need to think about church and in, 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 in leading souls to church, we have to teach them about baptism by immersion, but that's not enough. We have to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do they acknowledge the works of the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit work and manifest his presence in that church? And that's through gifts. So that is uh, very, very uh, important. Let's go to number seven, the function of the church. One of the uh, main functions is to worship. In John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, You also are like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church is where we worship as the temple of God, and when we gather on the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day is the day we worship. Every other day is prayer. You know, even though we praise, that praise doesn't necessarily mean that we are worshiping. Worship means on the Lord's Day. It's a, it's, that's the day worship and service takes place. And if we want to resurrect to life when Jesus comes back, if we want to participate in the first resurrection and enter eternal life, then we have to become members of the body of Christ. We have to become members that are attached intact intimately strongly to the body of christ and those who confess themselves to be i'm a member of the body of christ i'm a member i'm an intimate strong and and strongly attached uh, member to the body of christ they need to then come to church on sunday on the lord's day and worship where the name yeshua is the head so you can't say i believe in jesus and i want to have eternal life and not show up on sunday and say well god is everywhere isn't he God is everywhere. He receives my service. He does all this stuff. He knows my heart, a lot of people say. But how do you know you have that faith? How do you know you have that heart? You have to express it, and you have to practice your faith, and that's on the Lord's Day by worshiping uh, together. So if you miss the Lord's Day worship for whatever the reason, especially you are a man of a position in the church, and its excuse is not something that the church agrees or acknowledges, 
you know, you, you, you're traveling, so you told the pastor already, yeah, that's excused, but you just, with that excuse, you disappear. You don't show up, or you went to some other church. Then you have to re, if you want to come back, you have to restart, re-register. So we have had people who register after years of absence. They come back, and they start over. B, uh, second function, is fellowship. Romans 12, 10 to 13 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So if you come to church on Sunday to worship, then you have to naturally have fellowship with others because the word worship also includes fellowship. Uh, but some people, whatever the reason, they sit all day in the back and there's two things that magical that happens for me. I mean, in the beginning of the service, I try not to look at the room, especially in the EM. It's so fluctuating population. And so people don't come, whatever. I don't open my eyes until, uh, until towards the end, uh, offering time. And then the room is like two-thirds or a third missing. But then when I come up, hallelujah, oh, my God, the room's full. Where did they come from? So then the praise team tells me within the 15, uh, 17 minutes, they show up. They come in during the worship. So then, okay, I preach. And then after praying, and then newcomers praying, and then when they send me out, send me out, I'm going, oh, yeah, and then benediction, amen, forever and amen. And I go there. I remember seeing that, but they're not there. So like they disappear. So sometimes they escape this way, escape this way, or they just escape, period. So when we pray, they just disappear because they don't want to either see me or they don't want to see other people. A lot of times it's just the people. They don't want to deal with it. So they don't want to go downstairs. They don't want to say hello. They don't want to shake hands. So you say, well, I met with Jesus. I did my worship, and that's it. And they're the first one to peel out of the parking lot. You know, they're out there in the car when we're still saying the Lord's Prayer or whatever we're doing. They're not uh, members of the body. So we have to invite people to stay, you know, to have that fellowship with each other. So Lord's Day is the day where we see the face of the Lord and we see the face of our brothers and sisters. So you should feel comfortable with your brothers and sisters. You should feel love. You should feel like you want to share the love that you receive through the word today during the service with each other. So we have to invite new beginners, uh, new Christians to have fellowship. See, service. Ephesians 4.12 says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 1 Peter 4.10 says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So if you are a worshiper and you're a member of the church, then you have to have your own position, duty, and function to the fullest extent. Sometimes you get appointed uh, as a leader by the church. Sometimes you get elected by your peers to be a group leader. And sometimes you get um, asked and, uh, you know, invited to serve driving the van, uh, to serve in the praise team, or serve in some other ways. Uh, And you have all these gifts that God gave you. Again, Pastor Kang said, all the gifts that we have, the talents that we have, are not mine, but they are the Lord's. And the Lord says, I want to use it, just like the donkey. The Lord has need of it. Then we have to say, amen. So if you're good with computers, you, you, you use that computer skill for the church. If you're good at uh, singing songs, then you use the uh, singing talent 
for the church. If you're good with administration, you're a very organized person. You use that for the administration of events or whatever, church functions. Uh, if you're good at cooking, you love to serve people from the kitchen. You go downstairs in the kitchen downstairs and serve. You're good at doing the dishes because you don't, you're not good at anything else. Go ahead, do that. Do that. So we usually say, you're not really doing anything. Why don't you go do the dishes? Then you say, okay, hallelujah, and do the dishes. Can't say, well, I want to be up there, not down here. If you don't have time to be up there, then be down there and be do, do it gladly, joyfully, and gratefully because that's how we serve on the Lord's Day through the church and throughout the week as well, of course. And D, preaching. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke and encourage with patience, great patience, and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with, the sound, with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching, their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So one of the important functions of the church is to preach, is to evangelize. And our church uh, really presses uh, us you know, all together to preach the word. So if we go and have successful worship as in the gathering, then we are scattered back to the world to do this one thing, preaching. Everything else is done in the church, but preaching is the work that we do as we are scattered back out into the world. And we go out as ambassadors of the kingdom of Christ, as ambassadors. When an ambassador goes to different countries, they go with all honor, the honor of the United States of America. And our nation is greater and more powerful than the U.S. Our nation is the kingdom of Christ. So when we go out, we should feel proud as the ambassador, the representatives of the nation of Christ. That's what we ought to do. E, education. 1 Corinthians 4.17, uh, Paul wrote, For this reason I'm sending, you, sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So part of the church teaching is also educating. It doesn't mean uh, teaching ABCD or algebra, but it is to educate the people by the word and through the word how they should live. So these are all the functions that a church ought to be equipped with worship, fellowship, service, preaching, and education. And through the programs of the church, we should promote these functions to take place. And our church, Church of Jesus, every month we have something, right? So the month of January is the month of reading the Bible. Month of February is the month of uh, prayer. March is the month of making disciples, you know, or uh, uh, growth or something like that. And then children we have, and then we have spiritual training during the month of uh, July with the retreat. Then starting with August, September, and October, we have the month of, or months of dedication. We have the month of Thanksgiving. We have month of uh, loving the church in June. We have month of uh, closing in December. So every month we have some activities and programs to gear towards these functions. So we create good, holy competition. So we, have, we, reward, we award people for reading the Bible. We award people for preaching the gospel. Uh, we award people for going on the stage and dancing and singing songs. So we, we uh, promote good competition, you know, this for the sake of the spiritual growth. Uh, some, people, some historians say that Paul used the imagery of competition 
for spiritual life because Paul was a fanatic. He was a crazy sports fan. That's what I read somewhere. He loved the Olympics. He was a very competitive guy. <laughs> it's not a surprise, right? So he used that, said we are in a race. We are running towards the prize. So he used a lot of those imageries, and it's good that our church is like that. And you know our pastor is very, very competitive, so she was doing all that, swimming across the river and doing all the marching and stuff, and she wants us to do the same thing on Memorial Day. It's like commie style. So we have all that competition, good competition, and that way we are we are uh, solidified, court, uh, we are united together in the name of Yeshua. So that's very, very important uh, because the first resurrection happens to not individuals but to the church. So when the church, because when the, when the Bible says Christ the groom, the church is bride, that church is the unifica- unification of all the churches, biblical churches, and members who belong to the church. So when Jesus comes back, he comes back to take the church of all these other churches and all the belonging members. So if you want to be taken up when Jesus comes back, you should become one with your church, with our church. That when people see you, they should see you COJ. They should see, like, you talk like your pastor. You talk like a COJ because I'm COJ. I am COJ. I'm Church of Jesus. And if you are like that, God bless you because you are sharing the same attribute of the Church of Jesus. And if the Church of Jesus is the uh, biblical um, church that belongs to Christ, then you have the attributes of Christ, of God. And that's how it should look. And our pastor prays daily about our church, whether Church of Jesus is founded of truth or not. She always prays and asks about that. It was the church bought by his blood. Was our church, is our church the temple of the living God? Is our church built on the foundation of the truth, of the pillars of the truth? Is our church governed? By Christ and his word. Is our church a place where the Holy Spirit is working? Is our church is being prepared for the bride? So don't just pray for your jobs and your personal problems. Pray also for the church. And it's number one. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Those headings are the things that you need to pray first for. And that's about the church. That's about the kingdom of Christ that is being expanded and worked on through the church. So if our church is yes, 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 yes to those questions, then we have only one thing left to do. That's to burn ourselves up, to become zealous and passionate for our church. So if our church, Church of Jesus, is true church, it's biblical church, and the word of Christ uh, govern the church, the Holy Spirit is surely working and speaking and rebuking and disciplining and nurturing us, then we have to look no further but make the decision to live here, work here, and die here. And if we do, then when he comes back, he will take us back. Hallelujah. And that's what we need to do when we go out and preach, to surely bring them not just on Sunday, but to work to make them disciples and members of the body of Christ. Let us pray. Let's pray that first that we become true members of the body of Christ, that our passion be poured out to the church, that our talents, our time, our love, all the things that we want to do in our lives and all the things that we have worked for in our lives, all the experiences, all the knowledge, they ought to be poured out to Christ, poured out to the body of Christ, and that is the church of Jesus. So let's pray that we will not hold anything back. We will spare nothing but pour ourselves out, pour our hearts out for the edification of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus. Let's pray, Yeshua! Let's pray for our church of 
Jesus, let's pray just as he has watched over us close to past 30 years. Let's pray until he comes back, which is near, that he will continue to work through our church, that the Holy Spirit will continue to fill it and work in it and show his manners, show his presence through it, that the words of Jesus, the words of the King of Kings will continue to govern and reign in our church, that the truth can continue to be declared, be taught, be defended, and be kept through the church until the Lord comes back. So let's pray for our church. Yeshua! Now let's pray for each other. Let's join hands with our brothers and sisters. So hold hands with people next to you. Pray that your brother, your sister, as member of the body of Christ, will do his or her part in edifying the body of Christ and worshiping and having fellowship and service and preaching and educating, that we will all do our part as members of the body of Christ, that we will go out and seek one more lost soul for the Father, to return to the Father one more soul that he loves and that is patiently waiting for, that work will be done through our lives, that his will be done through our lives, that we will fight till death for the health and the well-being of his body, the church for his kingdom, and that the Lord will surely take care of us, that in that day not one of us will be left behind, but all be lifted up, so let's pray for each other, Yeshua, our soul for you, Yeshua, our Father in heaven, the Father of our souls, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the owner of the church, of our church, Yeshua, We give you praise and we give you thanks and we love you. We love you for who you are and we love you for you have brought us to be in our church today. We thank you for this precious word that you have revealed to us. We we give you thanks for this precious teaching. The spirit of revelation was working through our pastors and our teachers and our church. We are forever grateful for this knowledge that you have given us. Let us take pride in the word that we have, the knowledge of the word that you have given us. Let us take pride of the church that we belong to. Let us become strong and faithful and loyal members of the body of Christ until you come back. Let us be dedicated. Let us be zealous and passionate for your body, for our church, the church of Jesus. Let us pour out our talents, our time, all our treasures, our materials, our, our all that we can do for the church, for the edification of the church. Let us serve one another in love. Let us go out as we are scattered back to the world that we will seek one more lost soul for you. For we have been saved by hearing this precious gospel, this good news. Let us go out and look for one more soul who needs to hear this good news and be saved from the fire of hell. Give us the heart. Give us the heart to save souls. Give us the heart to do that desires to snatch souls from the fire and help us to lead them, guide them through the word and through the church life and that successfully we all can work towards the prize that you have set before us. Our desires to see you face to face when you come back and enter the holy city in crowns of glory and serve you face to face before the throne until that day 
becomes father. Give us the faith that we need. Help us to go from faith to faith and attain the maturity of Christ and to bear the likeness, the image of Christ on earth so that in that day we all be in heaven. We thank you for this precious time you have given us these past few weeks. We thank you for the blessing and I also thank you for these faithful souls and dedicated church workers who have been faithful to the tonight. Bless them. Fill them up with this wisdom and the knowledge and the passion of the word. Help, let us go out and bear fruit for you. Let us go out and make disciples of all nations. We give you thanks. We give you glory. In the name Yeshua, we pray. Amen.